All right, how's it going, everybody? You're here with us at the Fishbowl Barrio. I'm your host, Pucho, and across the table from me is our other host, Dom. Dom, what is up, man? Not much, man. How about you? How are you doing? I'm doing all right, you know, trying to get used to this weather change. Uh, we went from nice, cool weather. It's starting to heat up out here. Uh, but other than that, it's been all pretty good. Yeah, and uh, just over here anticipating for the NFL draft. I can't wait for it. Oh, that's right. Two things. We have the NFL draft, and we have the NBA playoffs this month. Um, NHL playoffs, I think, are this month as well. So if you guys are into that, that should be starting up soon. Um, do you know when the draft is exactly? I think it's the end of April, the April 30th, around that that last week Okay. on there. But I'll probably be watching it on that Thursday. What you call it? Because that's the first round or the... Yeah, that, yeah the, the first, the first round. day, I think, is just uh, the first round. Yeah. It's only the first round. I think it, the second day is like the second and third rounds. Yeah, second, third, and then the weekend is the, the rest last, of it. Yeah. yeah. Maybe the fourth and the second day, I don't know. Um, hmm, it's going to be real interesting to see who the Cowboys pick. Yeah, I know. I can't wait. To, I mean, I'm sort of curious to see sort of who's on their board, who they're looking at. I I wouldn't, you know how they are. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked with whoever they pick. Me personally, um, there's there's three positions I think we really should focus on in this draft. Maybe four. The head coach and... <laughs> we'll, we'll leave the head coach part out of it. I, don't, I doubt we're moving from, from McCarthy this year. This will probably be... be I'm thinking this is going to be his make it or break it year. This is year three, right? Yeah. This is probably his make it or break it year. They're probably going to want to see, you know, a deep if they run. can, if they can, yeah, move to the next level because with the quarterback, you with the team that you currently have, how they're currently their age and all that, you should be looking at the next step. So we made the playoffs last year, okay. Yeah, it ended disappointingly, but you you know we got there. So now it's to see, hey, can we make it to the the next round? I think we made it to the second round this year, right? Or did he get bounced in the first? I want to say the the Niners. I think were. I want to say the Niners were the. The Niners. Oh, we'll see right now. I think we got bounced in the first round. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're like, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Yeah, we did get bounced. We were in the wild card. It was a year prior. Oh, actually, three years before that. Oh, wow. Okay. So, we did get bounced in the wild card the first round. Um, and it was embarrassing. The Niners pretty much dominated that game. And then we had made the the last time they made the playoffs, it says is 2018. And we got bounced in the second round to the Rams. So that's not good. Well, I mean, yeah. it's, it's been part of the course for the Cowboys. I mean, we at least need to make it to the NFC Championship or not. The, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's the bare minimum. Yeah. I wouldn't even be happy second round. No. I, I'm like, no. at least NFC Championship. With, at least with as there. much money as is being spent on this team. And, I, and that's what I have to look at because talent-wise, there's a lot of holes and gaps. 
Do we have talent? Yes. Is it spread out evenly? Hell no. And the draft is one place we're going to have to deal with a lot of that because I don't know how much cap space they got. I don't think they have much of any. They think they have like $15 million, I think. I think in cap space. Um, and they're like in the middle of the pack in regards to how much cap space they have. And um, I don't know who you'd be able to sign with that. Uh, not many players, not many good players you could sign yeah. with, with that much money. You'd probably sign a couple decent players, but then you still have to sign all your rookies, and I don't know how that affects the casters. And I don't, I don't know the NBA, NFL cap that well. Um, but I imagine the draft is where they're probably going to try to shore up some of those spots. Uh, both lines need help. And the secondary, I think. Those are the three spots that I think we really need to focus on. Yeah, I agree. The offensive line, the mm-hmm. defensive line. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they dra- if I was them, I'd draft a running back too. But, you know, that's me. You already know how I feel yeah. about running backs. Uh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I draft one every year um, just so I can, you know, I have to pay them, any of them. I know it's a jerk move, but it's the nature of the beast, unfortunately. is an NFL GM. Um but, yeah, I think their offensive line, defensive line, secondary, that's probably where their focus is, is going to be in the draft. Uh, we'll see who they can get. I think there's a lot of good linemen in the early part of the draft, if I'm not mistaken. There's just one yeah. offensive lineman. I think he goes to – or I think he went to Virginia, I think. But he was mm-hmm. going against the top linebackers and D linemen, and he was – Holding his own? Nah, he was doing more than holding his own, sir. He was throwing them to the ground. And he was nasty. He's oh, the kind of like offensive a, lineman I wanted. Yeah, one with I, the attitude, like the old school Eric Williams kind. But I think he's probably going to go in the top ten easily. Because he's yeah. a big boy. And he was going against the top. And there was one linebacker that they, I guess he kept, they kept having running into each other. And every time he would send a message at the end, like, Toss him to the ground and send a message. <laughs> you know, and uh, that's a nasty, that's a, that's a dude you want. On your line, yes. yeah, because that's he, the only on the thing. Left side too. Yeah, I was gonna say it's one thing to be a good lineman, but to, to, to be an tackle. aggressive and yeah, aggressive lineman. Yeah, I was gonna say the last one I remember the cow is Eric Williams. Like he'd get dirt like in the trenches, kind of shit, where he throw know. the punches. Yeah, with that anger, you know, like that. That you just yeah. need a little bit nasty. Yeah, on, the, on both good, lines. Yeah. You know, that, that, uh, everybody else can be whatever, but your linemen, and maybe even your linebackers, but your linemen have to be nasty. Yeah. Because that's where the battle really is going on. Yeah. And there's a lot of violence that's happening in that, that trench. Yeah. You know, and, and you got to have somebody just as nasty as the person across from them. Yeah. And yeah, it's all right. You want to be a good guy or whatever, but I like the nasty offensive linemen. Yeah, the Poke guys that. And the fucking. You know, dog pile out there, <laughs> fucking pancake your ass just to me. That's him. Yeah, throw him on the ground. You know what? Mm, I'm gonna lay all 300 pounds up on you. Cause you know, with that kind of guy, you know that if that if, that if the quarterback gets hit somehow, some kind of way, unnecessarily late, whatever, he's just gonna be eyeing for that guy to cheap shot him. Yes, blindside him. Yeah, get his back. Yeah, you know, you know when your running back is trying to. You make you know run through a hole and a man's gonna make it, and somebody tries to do any funny business on the running back, and here comes that lineman to come and bull rush yeah. him out the way. Yeah. So, 
yeah, I would, I would be nice if they could get somebody like that um, with their first pick because um, we do need offensive line help bad. I think we lost one, Collins. Yeah. Lael Collins. We lost him. Um, we've already lost Lawrence on the defensive line, I think. No, Lawrence we signed. Gregory's the one we lost. Gregory. He went to at the Broncos, right? Yeah. They, they, yeah well, they, they needed they needed to fill in the gap for Von Miller. And the yeah. question is, Gregory, Gregory. the question on Gregory was never talent. He is a very talented lineman. I think that's where the hang-up was uh, on that contract. Yeah. Was, is like, is if he, the, if he got in trouble or anything like that, they didn't want to be on the hook for it. Understandable. When you yeah. have a when you have a person who doesn't finish their season, right, and you're doing they're a contracted employee, you as an employer should have the ability to protect yourself from somebody who makes bad decisions. Because it's 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 different if you're injury prone, right? Yeah. If you're injury prone and your team does that, that's kind of a dick move, right? Because they're signing you, but if you're doing all you can to stay healthy, like why would they then penalize you for randomly getting hurt. Yeah. Now, do I think that every injury-prone player is like that? No, I don't. Like, if I was the owner of... If I owned the team that had Anthony Davis on it, you bet your ass I'm going to have that clout. That, uh, that, that clause, clause in, in the there. contract. Yeah. Yeah. Because... Only because of his history. Like, I, mm-hmm. I'd be very skeptical. Like, maybe, maybe y'all know better than me. But I'm very skeptical that Anthony Davis does anything in the offseason. I feel like yeah. the man just shows up, tries to get in shape during training camp, and then that's what he does. He might put up some shots, practice a new fancy move, but I don't think he takes care of his body in the offseason like a person with his injury history should. Yeah, he, he ain't putting the work like LeBron in the offseason. No. Like, well, the Hitting greatest the example, and, and, and you and I. Oh, like Devontae Devontae and Murray. When well, after his knee, yeah, I'll just say Tim Duncan. Yeah, oh, like Tim Duncan. Why yeah, I say Tim. Tim Duncan? Because even after his knee got hurt, right? Like he still worked hard in the offseason to make sure his body. He lost weight. He came and in as slim. He got to, older, he, yes, because he didn't want that kind of weight on his on his exactly. knees on that. So exactly. he worked out. Yeah. He, so that lets me know that he constantly is working on his body to make sure that it's physically able to. Yeah. You know, maintain the rigors of being in the NBA for 82 games a season. And Tim Duncan, he doesn't he didn't miss very many games at all. No. Anthony Davis has never played a complete 82 season. And even when what do you call it, he missed the games, Pop sat him that in the playoffs. Yeah. Remember he wanted to go and Pop said nope and we, we got he, he didn't want to run the risk. No. Pop said his longevity was more important than this one playoff run. And that's understandable, man. Yeah. Sometimes as a coach, you got to kind of – and you think about it like that. Most coaches, especially in Pop's position, not necessarily on the Spurs, but like a head, a head coach in the NBA in that position, they're like, no, I need you to play. Yeah. If you don't play, if you don't get far in the playoff, I might get fired. Yeah. Right? But Pop, maybe, maybe you know, he had that – because he already had championships and stuff right. like that. Maybe, like, maybe I ain't going to get fired. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That he could say, hey, we can sit you out this year. We'll be yeah. fine. You're still young. We'll be back again. Yeah. They were right. He was right. Ultimately, he was right. But when you look at somebody like Anthony oh, Davis, like, I don't feel like that he puts in that same work. Yeah. So I would put a clause in his contract. Sort of like Stoudemire. 
Like he already called it. Like he could have been great, but he just oh, didn't want to do. Yeah. yeah, he just didn't want to do the work. No, yeah, yeah. Like they're all like, can you imagine if Stoudemire was under Pop? Like, like, I mean, like they're like yeah. they said, yeah. And they're all like, yeah, he would just show up and didn't really improve his game. He was just naturally gifted, and that yeah. was it. Yeah, very much so. Um, you know, there's a lot of and don't get me wrong. There's a lot of players that are like that. that yeah. That, don't ever live up to the fullest of their potential because that's not really what they're trying to do, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm skilled enough, I'm gifted enough, I'm going to go to practice, then I'm going to go home, you know, and, and this is just a job for me. In other yeah. words, do they love playing the basketball? I'm pretty sure they like it, you know? They yeah. would much rather play basketball than go get an 8-5 to five somewhere else. Yeah. But that's kind of what separates the really great players from, like, the regular the good, regular to good players. Yeah. You know, the great players were never satisfied with where they were today. You know, you hear so many stories about Kobe Bryant, for example, you know, about somebody, I forget who it was. Um, There was a player he was talking about, you know, that he was going to do shooting around in the gym. And then when he got there, I think it was when they were on the Olympic team, that when they, when they got to the gym, that Kobe was like drenched, sweat all over. And that Kobe um, had already been there like two hours prior to that person. So this person was thinking like, I'm, you know, I'm going to go put up some shots early. I'm going to put in some extra work. And Kobe was, had already been there a couple of hours doing that. Yeah. And this is a person who's on the Olympic team. So they're a good player. Yeah. But it just really shows you the, the divide mentally in particular between great players and good players. Yeah. And you don't have to go far for those kind of examples. Another I mean, one is Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley. Yeah, even like if you think about like Tom Brady. Tom like, Brady. Yeah, like, I mean, the dude is eating regimen and yes. in the offseason he's out there throwing the ball. Yeah. And then like even LeBron, as much as I don't I don't like him that much or anything like that, but like you see what he put does in the offseason, his right. workout and all that. I'm mean, like, you can't, can't help but respect the, the, the guy's work ethic, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just like. There's a reason he, he's he's that good, you know. It's just you know, he's just not there, just like resting on his uh, pure athletic uh, talent, you right. know, all the time. You right. Know? Yeah. Like a lot of these other guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so with you know, going back to Randy Gregory, because I know we kind of jumped to the NBA, but going back to Randy Gregory, like I completely understand why a team would want to put clauses in there because all the games he's missed, or most of the games he's missed, has been due to bad decision making. The problem I have with the with the Cowboys is why did they wait till the last minute? Like, well, I don't understand. I didn't understand what that was all about. Yeah, that that was a little bit confusing. Like, you already knew if you knew you were gonna sign this guy, which it sounded like y'all did. Like, why did y'all not add that into the contract beforehand? Now, one reasoning I heard was because maybe Jerry was kind of doing his old Jerry ways and trying to make like you know, hey, we'll get you what you want and all that yeah, shit. Yeah. But he was doing it behind the back of the actual GM. Yeah, Steven. So when Steven gets wind of it, he's like, "Hold up, now, hold up, hold up! I gotta protect, I, I gotta protect you, Dad, from yourself." Yeah, we gotta put these clauses in here and come to find out. Uh, and Randy Gregory wasn't too happy about that. He went to Denver. That's yeah, cool. that's fine. Um, you know, I don't know if the Cowboys needed him anyway because we have too many holes on defense. To rely on an unreliable person. Yeah. Maybe the Broncos are a little bit more solid. They, they can deal with somebody who's going to be in and out. Um, not to say that he's going to be in and out, but based on his history, more than likely he's going to be in and out. 
Uh, maybe things will change, and, and he'll be a little bit more of a straight shooter. <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, I don't. I couldn't tell you exactly yeah. what players, other than that offensive lineman, who I don't even know the yeah. name. If I find the name, I'll bring it up next yeah, time. Yeah, I'm gonna actually. I'm gonna start trying to look for that guy now, because I mean, nothing makes me happy. Yeah, yeah, that's who. I mean, that's what I like to see. Like linemen that are nasty out there, like finishing off blocks or something like coming out, like hitting a mofo or just mm-hmm. like sidestepping him and then pancaking his ass and like when the guy's trying to get up shove him back down to the floor kind of stuff like you know like oh the one i always like is when uh when the person is pulling like when they're when they're uh, like a sweep or something yeah. you see the, offensive the guard line, the guard pulls from one side all the way to the other side and he gets that unsuspected linebacker or, or safety Louts and like boom it. and that just perfectly makes that hole open yeah, yeah i like that i like seeing that yeah Usually it's the guard. Yeah. He like there starts pulling, and like you said, that hole opened up, and that linebacker just sees a three hundred pound man running at him. He thought, he thought he's gonna get that running back, yeah. and all of a sudden this big dude pops up out of nowhere. Where you come from? Boom! I love seeing that. I, I like, like I see the, the the secondary, the corners when they see that they just do the they they're like. Uh, Bullfighters, oh, lay they step to the side, oh, yeah. Yeah. Or, they, or they die, yeah. They're, they're trying to do a tackle, yeah. <laughs> Don't blame them, hey, dude. Can you imagine, like, and, and this is what always boggles I mean, it boggles my mind that, that the Titans can't really get over the hump. But like, can you imagine, like, the Titans have a huge offensive line and then they have a huge running back, yeah. It's like, you, you know what I mean, like, you're a linebacker playing that team and that happens. And it's like, you're thinking like, oh, shit, I'm about to get hit by the offensive line. And it's like, no, he's not coming. This is just the running back coming through this hole. Yeah. It's like the same size person. Yeah. Yeah. Just faster. Just faster, yeah. Uh, yeah. Even, uh, even harder hitting. Can I just get hit by the offensive line instead? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, play after play. That's, 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 that's where that's what that's I'm saying. That's what like, they say. Like, nasty, man. Yeah, that's what they always say about the... Football players, it's like being in a car accident every... Yeah. Every, <laughs> it's a multiple car, car accident in a single game, yeah. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> yeah, it's a real thing. But, yeah. Draft is this month. NFL draft is this month. NBA playoffs are this month. Um, I want to say the, t- the playoff positionings, for the most part, have been solidified. There might still be some juggling around with some of the higher positions. Um, we're not, of course not going to focus on any of those. We're going to focus on our boys that made the play-in. Now, originally, maybe maybe even about a month ago, I was like on Team Tank. Yeah. I was like, you know what? You know, we got a good young core. We got a lot of promising future. You know, let's add, let's up that with with adding like a nice high draft pick, right? But. As we started getting closer to the realization that we were going to make the playoffs, one, because our team is playing very hard right now, playing very well. I think that, I think we discussed it on an earlier episode where, you know, you could really see in the beginning of the season that they were all, everybody was kind of trying to figure out their role. Where do they fit? Um, I think starting Derek White kind of really made that even more funky. Yeah. I was never an advocate for starting Derek White. I always viewed Derek White as a sixth man. To me, Derek White, he has the perfect build you would want out of your sixth man. A combo mm-hmm. guard who can do it all. I was like, that's a perfect sixth man. 
You know, I don't want a little bit more size from my two guard or yeah. a little bit more scoring prowess from my two guard. Not to say that Derek couldn't do that, but I just felt like we had players that could, and he was kind of like the stopgap because yeah. he was more experienced. You know, and I get it. He gave Pop a better chance to win. At least that's what Pop thought. But once they traded him, it seemed like our team got better. Uh, I'm not blaming Derek White. I think Derek White was a great, is a good player. I just don't think that the Pop was utilizing him in the best place, even the yeah. best place for the team. You know, and and again, maybe that was the plan. Maybe the plan was to, maybe they were showcasing him the whole time, and that was why he was starting. But I really wanted, and I think a lot of Spurs fans wanted either Vassell to start or Lonnie to start. Yeah, just because they were more built like shooting guards. You know, and what I would see in the second unit was, well, they would try to give the ball a lot of ball handling duties to Lonnie, which is good. He could do it. But again, like, I felt like Derek White was better for that role. Yeah. Because he knows the offense better. So when you're in that position, I'm just saying that Lonnie doesn't know the offense, but Derek had more of, like, that floor general mentality. So you would want him to be with the second unit so he could put everybody in place. He knows where the plays, he knows where people need to go. He need you know, he could kind of orchestrate the offense better, right? And plus he needed the ball in his hands. Yeah. DJ needs the ball in his hands. So now you kinda of give them opportunities where they're the primary ball handlers. Yeah. And like Pop has always said about Ginobili, you know, just because he doesn't start Derek White doesn't mean that he couldn't finish the game. Yeah. You know. So I think once they traded Derek White, that really opened the door for Vassell and Primo, even Primo and Lonnie to kind of like really step up and, and kind of take on more of those those responsibilities as a guard. Now, they still yeah. kept Lonnie as a, as a sixth man. I guess Pop really likes him as the sixth man, and they ended up starting Vassell instead, which is not a bad decision or choice. Yeah. I, I think um, – Vassell is longer, so he's probably a better defensive fit, especially if you have him and DJ next to each yeah. other. Uh, and then you kind of still have Lonnie as like that microwave off the bench. Uh, but I, I'd always, I always preferred Lonnie to start only because he had more experience and he um, he's already shown a, a very acute prowess of scoring yeah. at all different levels, all three levels. And so I was like, you know, he would be a good fit for DJ, who at the time. I didn't really consider as much of a scorer as he really is. You know, I always looked at DJ as like a solid point guard. Like, yeah, the guy who can set up his offense, good at finding his teammates, good at playing the defensive on the end, other end, and he can score if he needs to. That's like how I always viewed him. You know, like 17 and 10, and 17 points, 10 assists. Like, that That was a, like, that's kind of like how I viewed his, uh, his, uh, his stats, you know, like yeah. his stats probably around the ballpark, or even 17, 9 and 9, you know, but he's been very impressive. Yeah. I want to say since either since the All Star break or for the month of March, he averaged like 25 points a game, 25.6 points a game, or something like that, and about nine rebounds and nine assists. Damn. So, yeah. So I, I didn't know he had that kind of scoring prowess. Yeah. Like, I would see his. Mid-range jumper was becoming very, very consistent. I see yeah. that. And I already knew he could score inside, but it was always his outside shooting that I was like, that's where he was going to get kind of spotty. But yeah. he's actually been fairly consistent with that. I think he's shooting in the upper 30%. Damn. 
Um, so he's actually doing fairly well in all those guards. So you, you couple that with everything. So I guess what I'm getting at is once Derek White got traded, he was able to kind of really flourish as the main guy. Now, do I think like he'll ongoing be the main guy? I think for at least the next couple of years because yeah. he's kind of established himself as that this year. And you already kind of have his second gun. And that's, that's why I say the Spurs are in such a great situation, right? And why my opinion of the tanking has changed. Yeah. Because what I'm thinking, I think a lot of the team tank people were thinking is, well, if we get a high draft pick, that's, something, that's somebody instant that we can plug in that's going to be really good, right? But then you kind of ignore the fact of how well the people that we already have are playing and how much better they're getting and how much more better they can get. Yeah. Right? And so if you keep that solely focused, and we've seen it, seen it a lot now with Derek White gone, and we've had over a month of, of games that we've been able to watch these guys. KJ averaging about 20 points. You're starting to see him really coming into his own. DJ, like I said, is coming into his own. Vassell's coming into his own. Now, Primo's coming, you know, he's very young, still very, he's only 19. Yeah. You know, he's going to be even better next year, you know. And he's, in reality, that guy that we're, like, we keep talking about wanting to get this year. It's like, really, it's he's that guy. Yeah. We just got him a year early. So do we absolutely need a top five pick? No, we don't. Because we do just fine with any pick in the draft. Yeah. And we got three picks in the first round. Yeah. One's going to be a lottery pick for sure. One's going to be in the teens, and one's going to be in the early 20s. DJ and KJ were both late 20 picks. They're both really good players. One of them is an all-star. Yeah. The other one is a future all-star. Yeah. KJ's going to be Gold medal winner. Yeah. I'm just saying, you know. And then you, so then people would say, like, yeah, but we need a big man. We need a lottery pick big man. It's funny you say that. We have two. I know people forget, but Yaku was like, we didn't say he was drafted 10th overall in his, in his yeah. draft year. And Collins, I want to say, was drafted pretty high. Yeah. And are they both, like, all-star caliber bigs? Uh, no. But they're both very solid at what yeah, they do. Yeah, I was going to say, they're, they're good. I mean, they're not scrubs. I mean, they're solid. They're solid. They're at what, Yak is a all-star center in the sense of what you want from your center. Is he a 2022 center? No. He's a 1995 center. Yeah. He out there to grab rebounds, Defend. redirect shots, defending Defend the low up. posts. Occasionally get a, a put clean, back. Clean, clean it up. Do, that, yeah, that's it. Everything you want, your your center in the nineteen ninety five to do, Yak is doing it. Yeah. Even better than some of them. I'm just saying, he he's a right. solid center. Do I want a legit low post scoring option? Yeah, I do. I wouldn't mind getting the the guy that I really like in the draft is Bonchero. I like mm-hmm. his game. I think he fits what we need very well, which is Additional rebounding. I mean, we got a lot of good yeah. rebounders, but additional rebounding doesn't hurt. Yeah. And low post scoring. If you can get some scoring from a, from our four position without having to use a wing as a four, then yeah, we're perfect. We don't need nothing else. We got everything we need on our team. 
Because we, we damn near have everything we need on our team if you think about it. Yeah. You want an all-star long point guard that can do it all? We got that. You want wings <laughs> that are all long, that can all shoot threes, that all can score all three levels, and that can defend? We got that. You want a backup point guard? There's a spinning image of Tony Parker? Yeah, we, we got that too. You want a center that can block shots, defend the, the rim? We got that. Yeah. Well, the the team is deep. Throwing a power forward that can score in the in his back to the basket. Mission complete. Okay. So for the draft, we're gonna have three picks. Like I said, and, and I've already told y'all where they're gonna be probably located. And and we're gonna have a lot of cap space. I think it's over thirty something million dollars in cap space. Damn. That's a lot of cap space. We don't we don't we have most of the people that we have under contract for next year, the people that are gonna get paid the most is DJ, who made fifteen million. Which yeah. uh, if you know anything about salaries and starting point guards, that's like super cheap. Essentially he's getting paid like a role player. So he'll probably get an extension. I don't know if it'll be this summer or probably early next year, but he'll probably be getting his extension here pretty soon. And I'll probably assume that it'll probably be close to the max, if not the max. Um, but, you know, like I said, a lot of cap space, three first-round picks, uh, a lot of future, good future talent currently on the team. We're in a great spot. Yeah. And who's to say on top of that, and this is another reason why I kind of changed from team tech to team playing, we have three first-round picks. We could easily move up and draft. Easily move up in the draft if we need yeah. to. If True. we need to. But the question, the thing is with the Spurs is you never know who they're looking at. Yeah. There's a guy that they might be looking at. What do you call it? They can, they're thinking, hey, we can maybe grab this guy in the second round. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. That's the kind of person team that they are. So it's very yeah. possible they do something like that. Um, so I'm not worried about them at all. So the play-in, the positives about it, the ne- we already talked about the negative. The negative is that it's going to push our drafts. The likelihood of it pushing our draft spot back is high. But the positive about it is now the team gets experience, that yeah. playoff experience. Now, to me, that's more, I think, better for them. In the long Especially, run, yeah, it is. And I think them being young, I mean, I think it, playoffs is a different game. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I mean, as much as the, the run and gun and – they shoot the three, it you can tell the difference in the playoffs. It does start to slow down a little bit to half court game a little bit more, you know. Especially in the fourth quarter, it's not so up and down. You know, then you start seeing it. Okay, the the guard is now running a you know actual offense. Yeah. It becomes more of a half court game. Exactly. You know, you can really see it in in playoffs. And we and we need that. You, you yeah. brought up a great point. It's more of a half court game. That's not one of our strong suits. Although we, I think we were like the top at uh, at assists. Yeah. Like the the this team wants to get out and run. And and it's it's gonna be interesting to see if I don't I don't think it's gonna happen this year for sure, but in the future and maybe it will. Maybe they'll they'll kind of figure some things out. But it'll be interesting to see if they can actually make teams run. Yeah. 
you know, because um, of course, if they even make the actual playoffs, they're gonna have to face the number one team, who I think is the is it the Suns? Is it the Suns of the Jazz? I can't yeah. remember. Um, I think the Grizzlies are number three. Mm. I think they may have moved up, but anyway, we'll have to face one of those teams, and part of me hopes it's the Grizzlies. You know, I, I I know a lot of people like John Morant. I know a lot of people like John Morant. Like, dang, let's see what he can do. I've seen what he can do. Yeah. I've seen that show before. I hope for him he stays healthy. That's that's more than anything. I'll tell you, he's missed 22 games this year on his breakout season. I don't know how that bodes for him. Because of the way he plays. That's, so, that's the only thing. Like The way he plays is very explosive. And when... Players like that tend to not have a long, not a long lifespan in the NBA because they're putting so much torque on their joints. And like, I hope he doesn't tear his knee up, but he needs to learn. He needs to build his other skills. Like, I get it, bro. The highlights are all cool in that. They are, but you have to pick and choose. And right now you're just kind of playing with reckless abandonment and you need not to play that way. And it may sound like I'm a jaw hater. I'm not a jaw hater. I just wish people would keep things in perspective. Just because a guy jumps really high and then dunks, what does that mean? Just because a guy puts up 40-something points, what does that mean? Did they win that game? Did they lose that game? Now, he's playing well, and they're they're winning. But I told you he missed 22 games, right? Yeah. That means that he's not going to play anymore. The most games he could play this season is 60. I don't think he's going to come back before the playoffs start because the playoffs start out yeah. next week. So he's going to miss 62. He's going to miss. He's only going to have played 58 games this year. Because he missed 22. He's going to miss his next two. That's 24. Yeah. 58 games. That's not a lot of games. That's not a lot of games from your guy who's supposed to be an MVP candidate. Yeah. And he's only 22. Uh, and he missed that many games. Yeah. You, you see where I'm going with yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. Sort of like... Um, I don't know if he's going to make it that long if he keeps playing the way he sort is. Sort of like Derrick Rose? That, that's that's exactly who comes to mind. That okay. is exactly... And people forget. Okay. All this shit there, John Moran, Derrick Rose did it all. All the, the cool, badass... I've seen Derrick Derek. Rose destroy Goran Dragic. And he was an MVP, right? Wasn't yes, Derek and he was an MVP. MVP. Ja's not MVP yet. He might be, but he's not one yet. And I want to say Derrick Rose, before up to his injury, was shown has shown to be more durable. Yeah. And I don't then, think he missed as many games this early no, on. No, he career. did, and it's when he his knee, and then after that, it, he was never the same. No, he wasn't. Now after that, that's when he had to really start working on the rest of his skills. Yeah. Like shooting. And so I really hope, because one of John Morant's biggest issues is he can't shoot. I think my man shoots like in the, if he shoots in the 70s in the free throw line, it's the low 70s. <laughs> like he's not a good free throw shooter. And for a guy who slashes to the basket, that's not a good yeah, skill you, to that. Yeah, you're going to get I mean, to the line, yeah. <laughs> and maybe I'm wrong. Let me double check that, because I know that was his thing for a while, is that he wasn't good at shooting free throws. Like he was shooting in like 60%. Like you said, I mean, if you're slashing in the holes, that means you're going to get to the line, so you better be making them. Okay. So he's shooting. He's doing much better this year. 
So it was last year. He got to about 72%. This year, he's back at 76%. So he's averaging about 75%. Except three out of four. Yeah. So he's doing much better now. Um, but there was a while where he just, there's, there's some games where he can shoot very poor. Some games where he does very well. But that consistency in his free throw shooting in particular needs to improve. Um, and I'm nitpicking and I'm nobody. I'm not an yeah. NBA, but I'm never playing the NBA. What do I know? But I just, it's just funny to me that, like, the amount of hype he gets, and it's like, well, I've seen this show before. Like, what's what's so impressive about it? I guess that's the way. And again, I, yeah, I, could, no, be, I could come up as a hater, but that's just how I think about no, it. No, I, no, I feel you on that. I mean, I always, I feel that way too. I feel like maybe I'm an old guy, right? I'm like, yeah, I guess, like, in my head, it's like, oh, everybody can have a good season or two. I'm like, oh, can this person have five good years at least right. in a row? You know what in I mean? Like, then I start putting them up there. I'm like, okay, it's just not like, oh, you had a great year or two mm-hmm. and then disappear. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's your longevity uh, uh, on there? Like, I forgot what's the guard's name uh, what team? in Portland when he Oh, name. Damon Lillard? Yeah. No, no, no. No, not back in the day. Yeah. Brandon Roy. Yeah, no. yeah. You remember? See, like, I mean, like, he, for those two two years. Oh no, he was bad. Uh, yeah. He's a bad dude. And then, like I say, it's to me, it's about longevity. Like that's why, like, even with the Dwayne Wade, yeah, I didn't, I didn't like him much either. But the dude who put, you know, he he, what do you call it? He had a long career, you know. Yeah. So it's like. You know, like it's just like to give me, it time. yeah, yeah, give yeah. Some time. yeah don't, don't, don't be like what do you call it? Gonna crown, crown his ass. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's too early. I mean, yeah, Brian, he's still like you said. He's already missing this many games, and I mean, he's only twenty two. That's yeah, the part that always yeah. bothers about. He's twenty two. He missed twenty four games this year. And then that's what I say is like, what's this? This is what his quote unquote second good year. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, I mean, I was, you start putting three, four, five, you know, then it start. Then it's like, then it's not like a flash in the pan. That right. means you, you know, that you're consistent. That you, you know, like, you, then you, I'll you, call it, you a bad dude. Yeah, 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 exactly. I got you. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's exactly where I'm at, bro. Yeah. You know, let's see you do it more than once. Let's see you do it more than twice. Let's see you. Let's see you actually keep this going. Is this who you really are? Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so I wish people would pump the brakes with him. Because I, I honestly personally think that he's really not their best player. I think okay. the player that makes the most difference for them is Triple J. I don't really know. I can't remember his entire name. But I know his first, middle, and last name all start with J's. Okay. They call him Triple J. And why I like Triple J is because he's a big man that defends their rim, can shoot the three, can score from anywhere. He seems to be the most versatile where Java Red to me is your prototypical six three six four guard uh, that will slash repeatedly. Okay, so when they get into these playoffs and these teams actually start defending them correctly, yeah, what's gonna happen? You know, like that's why I feel like the other guys eventually gonna be their better player. Yeah, it always makes sense because he's just. When you got a big man that can be like that, what do you call it? It's harder to defend a guy like that. Exactly. I mean, sort of like Dirk Nowitzki. Like, yeah. Like, I mean, you could do whatever you want, but when that when he started shooting the fucking three, 
Unless you're up on him on the three-point line, no, you, you ain't going to reject him. You're not going to block it. No. All you can do is sort of put your hand in his face and pray that he don't fucking make it on you. Just that, say, that's pretty a, much that's it. There's a reason the Mavs were okay with getting yeah. rid of Nash. Yeah. They didn't need him. They felt like they didn't need him. Yeah. And it worked out. Nash got to submit his legacy with the Suns. But, yeah, that, that's yeah, kind of yeah, how I feel about Yeah, John like, Moran. when you're a big man, it's like, what do you do? I mean, what do you call it? Like exactly. you said. Exactly. You can't teach height. Yeah, you can't. It's just like, you can, if defenses can adjust to to tighten it up and maybe run, what do you call it, zone? Yeah. Or, or, or shift to make sure that he doesn't penetrate and get to the rim or make it a lot more difficult. But how do you, I mean, you can defend, you can try to double team a big man. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's he'll, really he'll your only option. Somebody, I mean, yeah. But he'll be he'll yeah, have an easier time to yeah, find. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And if he, if, if he could shoot the three, then what are you going to do? Double team uh, out on the on the line? Yeah. <laughs> no. So yeah. 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 So you're really left one on one on that line. Yeah. And the guy that's defending him is usually going to be another big man, which isn't going to be able to be not up on him. Yeah, yeah. not as well be up on him. So it's sort of like. He's going to get his shot, yeah. either inside or outside. No, no, the thing is with Triple J is I think he's younger. I think he's younger than Morant. Dang, yeah. That's sort of scary. I want to say he is. He might, maybe he is. I want to say he's younger than, than Morant. Well, anyway, if anybody knows, let, let us know uh, your opinion on John Morant. I know a lot of people are about Morant right now. And I'd just be curious to know how you guys feel about his game and uh, his approach and, and, you know, my whole thing is I just hope he stays healthy. Yeah. Uh, me too. So they're the same age. They're both 22 years old. He was Jaron Jackson Jr. That's who I was talking about. I bet you anything, like, if you, if you had, if we had to put money on it, which one's going to have the better career? I'm, I'm with you, Triple J. Yeah. You can't tee 6'11", man. You can't tee 6'11", all skill around. Um, and he's a good guy. I think this year the issue that he had was he had he was injured in the beginning of the season, mm-hmm. uh, but he's been coming on. The only thing I know is when we play him, when we play them, when the Spurs play the Grizzlies, I'm more concerned about what he's going to do than what John Morant. Players like John Morant are not as difficult to Prepare defend as a team yeah. than as you think, because what a lot of teams, well, what the Spurs usually do with players like that is that they'll let them score all the points. Just as long as they don't get beat by the other guys. Exactly. Yeah. If I can stop everybody... As a matter of fact, they use that strategy... Against the Suns. No, not, not against the Suns, against the, the Nuggets. Oh, that's true. They, they, let, they use that same strategy against the Nuggets. Their game plan was, well, we'll let Jokic score all the points he wants as long as he ain't getting nobody else yeah. involved. And yeah. he put up 41 points. Yeah. They yeah. lost by damn near 20. Yeah. It's, that's what I was gonna say. The reason it, I said the Suns, it, it made me think of the Stoudemire when he when oh, Duncan and them yeah. back in the day when they're all like, yeah, he scored forty something, yeah, but they didn't want Nash and all these other dudes start going off, yeah, and make Joe it three, Johnson, yeah, John yeah. Marion, yeah, they're like, yeah, no, no, we'll give you forty fifty in the paint, yep. just as long. <laughs> Take all of two points, yeah. 
Yeah. We don't want to be now. What do you call it? We don't want you to get twenty and your boys over here Nash shooting threes and what do you call it? Uh, the Matrix over here making the three. You know, then you're done. Yeah, then you're done. Then you're screwed. Then yeah, because those are guys that you're not anticipating those many points from, and all of a sudden they're making, like making a lot of points. Yeah, and so that's essentially all. That's essentially how you have to guard him. Now the Grizzlies do have other players that can score. They don't. They're not as consistent, and so that's what you're banking on is their yeah. inconsistency. Because yeah. you already know that he's gonna get 25. The the problem is if you waste too much time to guard him or too much effort to guard just him, and not focus on the rest of the team. Like I'm talking about double teams, traps. Yeah. Um. You know, delayed double teams, whatever. You, you know, you're adding more personnel to defend him or focus on him. Then other people are getting more involved. And then they're going to get rolling. And then you're going to have three people with 25 instead of just one. Yeah. So you might as well just let him get his 25. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying just ole it to the basket, but... Now, nah, make him earn it. And, but you're though like... And then just pray, too. Yeah. Also, so if he has an off-shooting off night, oh, shit, even better. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, then you know you're going to blow this team out. Yeah. And, and there's been... And, and, guys, there's been plenty of examples of, of the way that I'm talking about how the team should defend them. Um, with other teams and you know the Spurs utilize this strategy a lot like where it's like all right we know that this guy we're not really going to stop but if we can kind of hinder the other ones we're going to win this game another another example and it really wasn't even so much the others but it's like one and they knew that they could kind of play the two players was the Thunder back in the day right Mm -hmm. you had really only had two options once they traded hard in a way the Thunder really only had two options as far as who they're going to give the ball to uh, to score um, in the 24-second clock, and especially if it's going down. So the Spurs would say, all right, do you want the ball in KD's hands, Kevin Durant's, or do you want the ball in Russell Westbrook? Who shoots a better mid-range jumper? Because we're going to try not to – we had Tim Duncan, so they yeah. weren't going to make layups. Yeah. And if they were, they were going to be tough layups. So more than likely, both of them are going to settle for jumpers, and probably mid-range jumpers at that. Yeah. Who would you rather have shooting a mid-range jumper? Oh, everybody knows you. I'd rather have Westbrook. Westbrook, Westbrook, right? Yeah. And as you can see, the way he's shooting jumpers now, he's always shot him like that. He's always been a terrible mid-range jumper, mid-range jump shooter. He's always yeah. been not very good at that. So that's what the Spurs would do. They would let him shoot wide open 15-foot jumpers, and he would clang them because he's not good at shooting, especially like ones that are on the wings. He's not good at shooting those kind of jumpers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and that's why I always boggle my mind. Like, this dude averaged so many points. It's like, yeah, because half the teams he played are dumb and or don't understand defense and how to play this. And game. then he got a lot of points on the free throw line, too. Yeah, free throw line. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad they changed a lot of those rules with the free throws. Yeah. Um, they've made it a little bit more difficult for these players to bait other players into getting them free throws. Like, one guy that I really dislike as far as the young, the younger group of talent um, that I really hate his game. I really hate his game is Trey Young. I don't like Trey Young's game at all. I, I really blame Steph Curry for a lot of some of these players' mentality and how they approach the basketball game. Trey Young wastes way too much time trying to bait people to fouls. Like, get off that, bro. Just play the damn game. Yeah. Just play the damn game, dude. You can shoot. Shoot the ball. You can penetrate, penetrate with the ball, man. But stop trying to... Add all this extra shit to get free throws, bro. I, I get winning is winning. Yeah. 
But now when you have to do all this extra acting and bullshit, man. And I, and I even get like getting hit and adding a little bit of flair. Yeah. But this dude's like, I hate when, when especially offensive players, like somebody's defending them and they'll feel a little bit and they'll like hook somebody's arm to make it look like that person was hooking their arm. And it's like super obvious, yeah. like who's doing the hooking. But probably because one person is more famous than the other person. Yeah. That person will usually get the benefit of the... I, I just hate the way this guy plays the game. I hate yeah. I hate guys who go... And Harden is now one of, is part of this group, too. Motherfuckers who are looking for free throws. Yeah, where they do the pump fake, and then the guy comes up, and they just jump into him. They jump him. into him, yeah. yeah. Like, that's a foul. That's an offensive foul. I don't know why it's so hard to call. Yeah. Who's creating the contact? It's not yeah. hard, bro. Who's yeah. creating the contact? Yeah. That, that irritates me, too, is... Uh, the lean in, you know, like pump fake, and then it's it's one it. thing if you pump fake and then you jump and the dude's jumping towards you. Yeah, but a lot of times these no, no, guys, like, no, no, they're, they they pump they, fake and then they jump, jump into, into them. yeah, like you said, they're jumping at an angle too. That's where it's just ridiculous. That's not a natural jumping motion. Yeah, and then they flop their arms after they get hit. Yeah, well, I, I'm glad they've changed a lot of those rules, man, um, because it. It's, it's, it's really ugly. It's really unnecessary. Nobody wants to see somebody going to the free throw line 20 times a game. Nobody wants to see that. That's yeah. why, for me, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, they're MVPs. I put asterisks next to them. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you say. You can tell me, like, oh, well, they put all these numbers up and all that. Yeah, those numbers are inflated, and they're, they're not – they don't hold any merit or meaning to me. Because in the end, what if those numbers get either one of them? Yeah. Nothing. So we crowned two guys as MVPs who, at the end of the day, did what? I remember the people who used to get crowned as MVPs were usually the best players on the best teams. And those teams usually won the championship. Yeah. So when they won it, you're like, oh, there's no surprise that it was the MVP. Yeah. But it didn't always happen like that team won the championship. But usually the best player was on the best team, and it was easy yeah. to say, yeah, well, that, that guy, guy was the best yeah. player in the, in the game. Yeah. But now it's like, oh, well, this guy put up monster stats. Yeah, on a team that made the playoffs and then quickly exited the playoffs. Yeah. You know, and I get that MVP is a regular season award. But if you only attribute it to people who put up big numbers, like what impact is they really having on their team? Yeah. Like, oh, well, James Harden, his team, you know, they got, they got to where they're at because of all the big numbers he put. It's like, yeah, and they got to where they were at because of all the numbers that he didn't put, too. Yeah. I mean, uh, that, that's what frustrates me when seeing basketball. They're like, oh, he scored 40 points, and then I look at it, and then they shot, what do you call it? 40 times. Like, 40 fucking times. They were like 10 for 40. I'm like, dude, you know, I'm like, this shot fucking 25%. 25% well, shit, yeah, what do you call it? I'd hit 40 points if I, what do you call it? I threw the ball up there 40 50 times a game, you know? Yeah. And then people are, oh, man, he got 40. I'm like, look, I'm like... It's not impressive. Yeah, I'm not... Is it like, it's impressive if he, if he shot, like, 18 for 23 and, and and 7 for 7 at the free throw line, you know? I'm and like, he, hey... And he won a couple rings. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm that. like, oh, yeah, but uh, that was my frustrating thing. He's like, when I see that, they're like, he scored 50. And then yeah. you look at their shooting percentage, and they shot, like, 28%. I'm like... Oh, yeah. 
I'm like, well, the dude should have scored 70. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like. Oh, yeah. I'm just like, man. Like, I feel the same way about triple doubles, too. Yeah. Like, I, I get, like, there's some people who get triple doubles because they play within the flow of the game and they just got a triple double. There's some people who play, who get triple doubles, who actively look to get triple doubles. Russell Westbrook was one of those people. Not yeah. granted, I get it, man. The team wants to give. I mean, imagine you're the Thunder. You're trying to sell tickets. Yeah. Right. The best way you're going to sell tickets is if you have a gimmick, somebody that something or somebody that you can point to and say, like, come and look at us. Yeah. And so I get the push to get him to get triple doubles. But if you know how he gets triple doubles, then you know that it was a BS stat. Yeah. I can get triple doubles, too, if everybody jumps out the way and lets me grab the rebound every time. (laughs) Yeah. I have the ball in my hands 50% of the time. I should be able to get double-digit points and double-digit assists pretty easy. Yep. So that's 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 why I was like, okay, it's not that impressive, guy. When Oscar Robertson did it, it was way more impressive. I don't think he was actively trying to do it. Yeah, he wasn't there counting. I think he days. was just like playing the game and just ended up like, oh, he had a triple double. Yeah. Russell Westbrook, I don't feel like that. Yeah, no. Like I see Russell Westbrook's passion, but then I also see how self-absorbed Russell Westbrook is. Yeah. You say, well, how do you say that? Because of how he dresses. You say, well, that's just his fashion. That's just what he likes. Yes and no. Because he dresses like that not just for fashion, quote-unquote. He dresses like that for attention. Yeah. You don't wear a bunch of mixed match stuff. And yes, it's a bunch of mixed match stuff. It's not. It's fashion to some and it's trash to others. I might be on that trash to others page. <laughs> some of the stuff he wears is like he just mixed matched it. Okay? A man wearing high waters. With some Dockers and a, and a fishnet shirt. Yeah. Okay. He's out there. He's looking for attention. Yep. And that's fine. He can dress however he wants. And I can call him a, an attention-seeking person as much as I want. Yep. <laughs> but it kind of just fits the personality of what I'm talking about with him. Is Which is, he's a self-absorbed person. He's a person that thinks a lot about himself. A lot about what he can get and what he... Where he kind of fits into everything. Yeah. And so, whoa, getting a bunch of triple doubles. It's all about me. Me, 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 me. He's like, oh, what about the assists and all that? Well, I mean, if I pass it to enough people, eventually I'll get double-digit assists. Yeah. And if I have the ball in my hands more than anybody else, how would any, how would anybody else get assists? So, like, mm-hmm. what I'm getting at is a man gets averages 12 assists a game. Well, what if the team averaged 20? So you're telling me the rest of the team got eight assists. <laughs> That's not a lot for the for, for 14 other people. Yeah. So I'm just saying, like, you have to really look at these numbers. What do they really mean? Yeah. No, I hear you. That's why I always see that whenever, oh, they're all, or when they score like 40, and then you're you see like half of the points at the free throw line. I'm like, that's garbage. It's like you didn't, you know, it's like. Especially the rep, like the rep scored half them points for you. You know who used to frustrate me? What do you call it when it was uh, Harden when he was with the Rockets doing that? They're like, oh, he's scoring all this, scoring all. I'm like, and then like you get all these BS calls on there. What do you call it? I was like, man, well the guy should be scoring that much. I mean, he's going to the free throw line every damn minute, man. Yeah. 
Yeah, he is. Yeah, and he, he he's yeah. one of the worst ones. I think he was a big motivator in them changing some of these rules. Good. Because he was really bad. He he. I think with Harden, it got to a point with him where he relied more on his antics than his skill. Was he very skilled? Yes, he is very skilled. He has yeah. a lot of. He he's a very talented player. But he's not a complete player by no stretch of the no stretch of the imagination. This yeah. man does not play defense to save his life. I've seen yeah. so many clips. This dude playing the worst, most horrible defense. You would like any coach in any level would yell at the hell out of this guy for the <laughs> amount of defense he plays. But that's not what puts seats in the in the in the arenas, right? That's not yeah. what makes money. So of course the teams don't care. They let him play the crappy version of basketball that he continues to play and now he's with the Sixers so he, he was able to whine his and cry his way out of two teams I don't know how these teams allow that crap but apparently they did I guess if you're yeah. the, in the Nets you have enough crap you're dealing with with Kyrie okay. which, which who would have thought that a team built around Kyrie Irving James Harden and Kevin Durant couldn't make it work who would have thought that uh, it's not like they're all narcissists, right? Yeah, exactly. Mercurial <laughs> players and stuff like that. <sighs> <sighs> surprise, surprise. And now the Nets, I think, are... They're either in the play-in oh, or they might be not in the playoffs, the Nets. Dang. They're in the bottom. That's <laughs> funny, right? Yeah. Almost as funny as uh, the Lakers not making the playoffs... Two years removed from their last championship. Yeah. Hmm. They got eliminated, what was it, last week? Uh, did A couple days ago. Week? No, yesterday. Was it was yesterday. Because I've seen yeah, all yeah. the memes. No, no, because it was supposed to be, it was if the Spurs won, because we were already two games ahead of them. So if the Spurs won and they lost, then we were in the play-in and they were out. Dang and that's it. what happened. We, we And we were supposed to lose. Because we were playing the Nuggets at the Nuggets in Denver. We were eight eight point underdog. And we ended yeah. up blowing them out. We almost lost, but yeah. by the end they picked it back up and were able to beat them close to 20. And then the Lakers had to beat the Suns. Oh, that man. wasn't going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they Because the Lakers are just not a good team. No, they're not. Yeah. They're a very, very bad team. Nothing about that team makes any sense. Frank Vogel's your coach. Frank Vogel is, cannot coach a team like that. Frank Vogel can coach an M- NBDL team. Yeah. Like, he needs a bunch of underachieving... He needs a bunch of overachieving players. That's what I meant to say. Like, yeah. he needs a bunch of nobodies that he can coach up. That's who Frank Vogel is a coach. He Frank Vogel is not the kind of coach you want to bring in to coach a bunch of mature NBA players that have been multiple all-stars. He can't coach them up. Nah, they need a motivator. They don't need a coach like that. Yeah. And they got a they got the wrong coach. So that's that. Do I think Ty Lue was the answer? No. I'm very low on Ty Lue as a coach. I don't think Ty Lue is a good coach. I don't care. I've heard people try to say like, oh, well, you have, have you seen his rotations here, that, another... No, I've seen him coach, and I see who actually coaches. And nine times out of ten, it ain't him. <laughs> okay, it's usually he's either somebody on his bench, one of his other assistant coaches, or it, it was LeBron James. 
Yeah. Ty Lue is not a good coach. He's not. He's not. He wasn't even a good player. Okay? Ty Lue used to, got stepped over. Y'all don't forget. Mm-hmm. Y'all Iverson shot a three in his face and then stepped over him. <laughs> Let me tell you, somebody shoot a three in my face, I'm already running to the other side. I'm not getting, I'm not falling to the ground. Getting <laughs> stepped over. So, Ty Lue is not a good, I don't think he's a good coach. So, yeah. no, I don't think he's the answer. They need almost like a Phil Jackson type. Somebody who is more psychological with them. Yeah. That's what they needed. Somebody who can handle personalities. Jason Kidd was not the answer either. I don't care. I don't know how this man keeps getting jobs, but I personally think Jason Kidd is a terrible coach. I really do. I don't see how Jason Kidd's personality make him a good coach. He doesn't seem like a personable person. He doesn't seem like a person that can really motivate you either. Seems like an a-hole. That's exactly what he seems like to me too, sir. <laughs> and so uh, I want to say he's coaching the Mavericks, no? Who is Jason Kidd coaching right now? He's a coach again. But I can't remember who what team he's on exactly. Jason Kidd. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know how he got a job before somebody some other players, some other coaches. Yeah. Yeah, he's a Dallas Maverick coach. And he's gotten three head coaching jobs in the last, since 2013. Damn. Don't know how. Don't know how this man keeps getting coaching jobs. He's not a good coach. Um, But he did. Um, So, yeah, the Lakers coach, terrible. Their their team makeup was atrocious. You can't take on that many aging players. Nah. Who provided redundant skill sets. That's the other thing. Redundant skill sets. Can't have that. Carmelo Anthony can't be your sixth man. No. Nah. You gotta have an there. actual point guard. Yeah, it's when you have a and then what do you call it? When you have a team of just names, you know what I mean? It's That's just, exactly all they were. Team of names. But you see what's funny is that we've seen that Laker team before. People try to act like this Laker, like oh just no, this is the Lakers in a nutshell. Okay? The Lakers in a nutshell is they go through these long periods where they suck, okay? Then they'll get a player that's really good, and then they'll start coupling other really good players around that one player. That's when they're good. Yeah. Where they get bad is they'll have that one player, right, and he's aging, and uh, instead of, like, doing like a good team and starting to rebuild through the draft and then you only go through a couple of bad years until those good players go up, whatever, they like, okay, we're going to go ahead and stop this gushing wound with a Band-Aid and we're going to get Dwight Howard. We're going to go get Steve Nash. We're going to go get Carl Malone. Yeah. We're going to go get Gary Payton. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. These are all, this, is, this isn't the first time this has occurred, no. guys. This is what the Lakers do. They don't. They don't like to be... They don't want to go through actual rebuilding phases, okay? They hope that they can get a good player in a draft at some point. Maybe this draft, that's why they, they're, they're going to be high up there this year. But that's what their hope is. You know, if they don't get that, that they're going to try to spend money and get whoever they can get in the offseason. The problem is, is that less and less players want to go and play for L.A. So in the yeah. offseason, they've been, getting, they've been getting shafted a lot, and they end up having to get whoever they can get. Yeah. Carmelo Anthony. Ray John Rondo, Dwight Howard, 
You know, guys who don't help them with the team that they built. You're trying to build your team around LeBron and AD. Yeah. So you need players that fit those two guys' skill sets. And those two guys' skill sets, I don't even really think match up very well, but whatever. They're yeah. together. Well, that's enough about the Lakers. Um, I'm just going to give a fun little fact about April the 8th. And then we're going to jump into our topic today. All right, so just a fun fact. On 1974, April the 8th, 1974, Henry Aaron, Hank Aaron, hit his 715th home run, beating Babe Ruth's record of 714. Dang. So today we're just going to talk about a movie or book that really influenced us at some point in our life. All right, ready? Yeah. All right. So I'm guessing your is this going to be the Bible? Mine, no. Okay. Not the Bible, no. All right, now. So the most memorable, or the most recent memorable one. It could be a book or a movie, actually. Yeah. Um, it wasn't a, a movie. It was actually a book. Okay. And it wasn't even really a book. It was an audible book. Okay. Because it... Um, I just been doing that because it's just easier for me just to put my yeah. and this, but it was called. It's, it was, I bet a lot of people have read this book, or heard the book uh, "Rich Dad Poor Dad," mm. and it's just a. Uh, it just sort of makes your uh, view on things a little bit different, like uh, with the the wealthy people. Uh, what do you call it? Say uh, how they look at things and uh, things. It's just more of a mind uh, concept. Um, it starts off. Have you ever read or heard the book? No, but okay. I, I've heard of it. Okay, so basically, what it is is like uh, this kid, um, his dad, um, is. Um, it starts off. I'll put it this way. It starts off this where he says he has a rich dad and a poor dad, right? And he and he's going, um, on there, and he's. Uh, you know, taking advice. Basically, his rich dad is his best friend's dad, and his his poor dad is his dad. He's a working a working uh, professor, mm-hmm. and it's funny. He goes, "Oh, you know, this guy." He lays it out, and he doesn't tell you which one is which. In the first the first part of the book, oh, he went to Stanford, full ride, and everything, and the other one was a high school dropout and everything. Well, his dad was the one that went to Stanford. And is the poor dad, <laughs> the other the the other one that dropped out, ended up being the the rich one. But it was more, um, you know, it's just more the mind, the way of seeing things, and just sort of like, oh, you know, why can't we have that? Or you you know, the perception of of, well, what do you call? It? We can't afford that. Versus that's what the poor dad would say, mm-hmm. which wasn't really poor. He would just live paycheck to paycheck, on there, um, but he was a professor. Um, and then the rich dad would be um, saying, "Well, no, I don't. I don't see it like that." You, you tell him, "See, you're looking at it wrong. You know what can I do to to get that? Not that we can't afford it. Like, what what do I have to do to get this? Or, um, you know, like just things. It was just a lot of different concepts about money right. and, and the viewing of of it. Um, basically, like, um." Making your money, the rich dad, making your money work for you. Mm-hmm. Like, you know. That's what you hear a lot from yeah, like wealthy yeah, people. Yeah. 
It, you want to get to the point where your money's now working for you. Yeah. Your money's making money on its own. Yeah, exactly. And that's where, um, you know, the dad would do like for uh, the rich dad, or, which was more like a mentor, uh, like investments and companies and like, you know, just more of those things like that. Like you said, make the money work for you on there. And then he would explain, yeah, that's the reason the wealthy or wealthy is because, you know, me, like me and you, we have normal jobs yeah. and we get taxed. Like a normal job is taxed at like 30%, 20%, whatever the back, bracket, bracket we fall into. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, capital gains, like you're making the work uh, money work for you. Mm-hmm. Capital gains is is only taxed like at. It, I'm making this number at like ten percent. It's taxed at very very low compared to your actual earned wages. Right. So that's why he would say like, um, you know, that's why you want to do it like that. He's just his whole view of taxes, like all the rich, you know, um, they're always they're you know. You can try to change the taxes and all that, but, but they always they're, figure a way to get around it. Exactly, yeah. and that's why he, you know, he brings up the history of taxes. That when taxes first started, um, taxes weren't for everybody. It was only proposed as a, a tax on the on the on the wealthy, and then through time, it shifting in there on there. Mm-hmm. So, but then basically, like he says, the wealthy, the, the you know. I mean, we, we all know this. They influence, they buy politicians, we get the laws. Right. So, like, you know, whenever you hear somebody saying that, um, oh, you make them pay that, they're, they're going to figure out a way and it's just going to fall on the on the poor and the middle class any which way. Uh, but it, it was just, it, it was just to just really open your eyes toward, like, how, how what do you call it, like, um, I guess uh, how money works and how the wealth, the wealthy view it, and uh, you know just sort of the way it is, and um, he even talked about unions a little bit. Uh, the the rich father was against them, of course he was, cause, you know, mm-hmm. on them, and then uh, the um, father was for them, and he really, you know, and he felt sort of always felt like he always went with more of the wealth, the but in that aspect he said. If if you're a specialized kind of person, like you're a pilot, doctor, then you should be in one, because you know if something happens to your career, that you're specialized in that one field. So, for you to get another job, like if you're a pilot, yeah, 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 to to get paid what what you're you're paying you're paying for, and um, the wealthy dad, like basically, to taught him when he was a little kid, like a concept of like. You know, hey, you're gonna do this job, and he he wanted basically he wanted to teach him. You know, you're you're only as worth what you, uh, what you're letting yourself get paid for, mm-hmm. and so he he said, good. It took you a week or two to figure out that I was paying you garbage and treating you like garbage for you to say something. You know, so don't get taken advantage of uh, of that situation. <laughs> like, and the reason people out there, you know are there is because they're willing to put up with this and you know like that you know that's what uh you got to learn your worth so in other words you know you're worth more than that so don't sit there and just be uh take it you know on that yeah. and that's why 
um, you know, just those kind of concepts and things. It was more, it's more concepts than really anything else uh, on how to view things. So I just heard it recently. So that's why it's the most recent memorable I got one. You. But it, it was just interesting on there. So what did the rich dad do for a living? Just out of curiosity. Well, at first, um, what it was, I think he had a shop. Okay. And then from the shop, he, what do you call it? Um, went ahead and uh, owned restaurants and that sort of diversified. But so like he would just buy things and just create more and more wealth and everything like that. Uh, oh, another great thing that he said, he goes, I, I, the, the guy, that rich guy, he goes, I'm smart, but I, I, I pay people that are smarter than me for those things like right. accountants mm-hmm. and things like that. And so like he, one of his tests, like how he would test people, he would ask them a question that he already knew the answer to, but he wanted to see what, what they would say mm-hmm. and if they were direct. And then that way he knew like, okay, this guy's not blowing smoke or no, this person knows what he, he's talking about right. and you know, things like that. But the, what it was, was um, first was businesses um, and then, like, you find out, like, his son that he taught him, his best friend, mm-hmm. ended up taking over those corporations. And now he's, like, one of the richest dudes in Hawaii, or the richest wow. one. <laughs> so, it, 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 you know. But I like it at oh, first, because you figure, like, the guy that went to Stanford and all this. You right. fig- you, 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 like, he doesn't I tell you which debt, one. You, 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 first, you, first <laughs> that, you first think that's. The he's rich a rich dad, dad. Yeah, yeah. He has a, the pedigree and the credentials. Yeah, exactly. And then you come to find, you're all like, oh, no, it was, it was, the, it was the dropout guy. What, <laughs> well, I, was, I mean, I kind of already knew who was who from the beginning. It's the way you kind of described it. But in my mind, when you said, oh, he's a professor, he went to Stanford, like, oh, that man's in debt. He got a lot of student loan debt, probably. Yeah, but, but the way he said he was like, oh, free ride and all this but then that's why that. Dad, oh, that's right. That, he had yeah. a free ride. No, but the way the dad. So it's like the concept where. Yeah. Where he's a smart he, guy. He, he, he went yeah, to Stanford. He, he probably makes a lot of money. Yeah, that's the first thing I thought, yeah. and like, but then that's why like the dad, the dad's uh, his, his real dad was. Yeah. Um, would say like, hey, you go to school, you do this, and you get a good job so you can earn money. So that's why like, the the wealth the guy said you don't you you're never going to get wealthy working. That's why you gotta work. You work to earn money so that you can then turn that money to to to, uh, to, to, to wealth, so it can work for you. Mm-hmm. Because if not, then you're you're always gonna be just working for for the paycheck. Yeah. On there, and you're never you're you're always gonna be working more as opposed to where if you put that much, some of the money aside, invested and bought things on that, and uh, what do you call it? You you know you could in turn and oh one of the other big lessons on there was knowing the difference between an asset and a liability. Oh, yeah. That's a big one. It's a big one. Hey, all those new cars you guys buy, that's called a liability. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So FYI. <laughs> exactly. Might look nice. You might want to get a new one every couple of years, but all you're doing is extending your liabilities. Exactly. So that's one of the... the he goes, it's an easy concept, but a lot of people don't even know no, the difference. No, because what I want overtakes what I need. Yes. Exactly. Well, I need so, that new iPhone every every year. Yeah. No. So it's just it's just more concepts. Um, oh, yeah, there are all, a lot of interesting and good concepts. Yeah. A lot of a lot of a lot of things are are um, common sense stuff. Yeah. Right. Like if you want, and granted, we're talking about our working society. Yeah. You know, if you want to make more money, then you have to look at it beyond just 
working an individual job because yeah. an individual job is you're only going to be able to accumulate so much money. Exactly. And you need to compound the money a lot faster in order to make wealth, right? Yeah. Because we only live on this earth for so long. You can't wait forever for your money to build up to a point where you can be wealthy. Yeah. Um, and so, in, the, in essence, the only way you can get there in a reasonable amount of time um, is to try to find some kind of avenue or venture that will allow you to compound it as a faster rate. The faster it compounds, obviously, the more you'll make. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and I guess yeah. part of also like what he's talking about is just finding those good ventures. Oh, that, oh because you could you could definitely lose a lot of money going the wrong route. It's funny you say that. He talks about that too. Is that a lot of times is you got to know when to pull the trigger because even if you're a smart guy mm-hmm. and everything goes there, most normal people will talk themselves out of it because they're afraid of risk. Yeah. And he goes, you know, I don't gamble. I take a risk. Yeah. There's a difference between gambling, just not just going into something and not knowing. Right. Risk but is it, more but, of an educated. Yeah, exactly. Decision. And he limits and he does all that he can to limit it. Mm-hmm. And But when he sees an opportunity in front of him, He'll jump on in. Like, yeah. he explains, like, when the housing market was down, like, in the in the 80s or 90s. and He bought 20,000 houses. Yeah, well, no, he said he would run, like, like he would work out, like, in, uh, I think at this time, I think he was in Seattle. He said he'd run, and all in this house would, you know, weeks at a time, they still had the for sale sign. And he looked like a little, he said, beautiful little gingerbread house. And then he was all like, why isn't this house selling? So then the guy happened to be outside, and so he goes, hey. Like, how much are you selling for? And the guy's jacking and said, Hey, what, what do you got? I've had it on the market. I just want to get rid of it. And so the guy made he made a deal. And he was that guy was happy. And he was happy. So he paid like I'm just using fake numbers, but he paid eighty thousand when he knew it was about worth about a hundred. But he held on to it and then turned around and rented it. And he said that he was only making forty bucks per month on it because he was renting it out. But he said, uh, and then, but when the fast forward three, four years, then they, uh, the housing market started heating up there. And now that 80000 was now worth the 150 160 And so what he did is took the difference on there. Yeah. But he said most people would have probably sold it a long time. Yeah, that, that or they, they would have said, what's wrong with it? Instead of seeing it, because it was worth 100 and he bought it at eighty. So he, in his mind, I already got a $20,000 deal on it. And so, but most people will not pull the trigger on it. No. So, so he said, and that's why he pulled the trigger and said, I'm willing to, uh, what do you call it? I'm make 40, 40 yeah, yeah, I'm willing to make 40 bucks for 20,000 already. I'm already ahead. So, uh, but that, that, that's the interesting one. So what do you call it? But you, is it a movie or is it a book that most memorable? Um, most memorable. It, I don't know, it, man. Cause like. I really try to think about pinpointing it to one thing. Uh, I don't normally read books, books. I will say that the <laughs> one of the few books I did read, and I don't know what, what really made me want to read this particular book, but I like read it and actually got hooked on it and actually <laughs> finished it, was The Da Vinci Code. Oh, okay. I actually read the book before I went to the movies to watch it. Oh, you're one of those guys. I normally am not. Oh. I mean, other than the comic yeah. book movies, but you know, but uh, but normally I don't do that. And yeah. so for some reason, I guess the concept and the idea of the movie really intrigued me. I know it had to do a, it had to do for anybody who hasn't seen the Da Vinci Code, it has a lot to do with the Catholic Church and like uh, their potentially meaning 
like all these symbolisms and all these different things that they do have potential other meanings to it. And then I don't want to ruin the movie, but spoiler alert. Yeah. Then one of the main characters is actually descending to Jesus Christ. So that's, that was a big spoiler. But in the, in the book, you know, you get all these, it's like a, it's a mystery, right? Yeah. Like you're trying to figure, they're trying to figure out the puzzle. It was kind of like a, one of those, you know, like national treasure, yeah. you know, kind of movies where you're trying to find the puzzle to get to the end of the story. And so the book, you know, you get a lot yeah. of description and a lot of, it's very descriptive and all that. And so it was very intriguing reading it, like trying to figure out, you know, what the end game of the, of the situation was. Um, That's true. So there's, so as far as classical, regular book, it's not even a classical book, but as far as regular books, uh, I would say that one, and it's only because it's one of the very few books. I guess uh, entertaining entertainment books, fiction books that I got into that I really enjoyed. Um, and again, it had, like I said, it had a lot of it had to do with my connections with the Catholic Church and, and kind of the twist that they were kind of pointing pointing yeah. in regards to that. I thought that was very interesting. Um, the book is much more in depth than the movie. You know, I, I finally understood what people say when they like. You know, I like the I preferred the book than the movie. A lot of times, that's what you'll hear from people. I was, about, I was literally about to ask you. I say, so which one was better? Because everybody book, always, the book was better. Because you know, you always hear people say, "Yeah, the book is better." And, you know, like you know what it is is because movies have to fit a certain time, right? So they'll they don't waste time with like little things, right? And so <laughs> a book really tries to paint the entire picture for you. So it's not about how many pages or how long the book is. I'm pretty sure they don't want it to be too, too long. Yeah. But they can take time to kind of describe a setting to you, how things are. So you kind of feel more in the moment and more than the movie, right? In the movie, you actually see supposedly what, what the book was kind of describing for you. Yeah. But like in the book, like if you don't know like the location that they're talking about, then you kind of imagine it however you want to imagine it. And so the settings is about how you imagine the settings to be based on how you're interpreting how they're they're writing it. And so they kind of go into more depth. Plus, there were certain things like the, I can't remember it right off the top but of my head. Like, it's been a while since I've seen it. Yeah. But there's been like there's like certain mysteries that like they kind of flesh out a little bit better in the book, whereas in the movie they'll be like, "Oh, this is how it is." Like, "Oh, okay, we figured it out." Whereas in the book they'll kind of flesh out their thought process a little bit better. No, it to makes kind of really like feel the suspense of it. Yeah, it makes sense. Like you were saying, like with movies, there's a time constraint, whereas a book you can really get detailed, and there's no time constraint. It's just in the book, right? So it, it's not like cutting corners. It's actually like no things are like like you said in the movie. Oh, this is how it happened. You're like, okay. I mean, I understand, but how it leaves you wondering, like, how did you get to that? Exactly. And, whereas in the book, it'll literally draw it out for you like how you got to that point yeah and with the thought process of it and so like the payoff is yeah. bigger yeah. like because when you get to that point where you finally realize what he was he's like oh whereas in the movie you're like okay that's how they figured that out like it was like yeah. real, you know it's real quick yeah and where in the in the book they kind of really dramatize it um the other thing is too tom hanks was the main character and so yeah. you know and i and i have this happens to me with any actor that's acting too close to how they themselves is that you like okay that's tom hanks that's tom hanks like i'm not actively thinking that but like periodically throughout the movie like that's tom hanks like in the book there's no distraction that that's tom hanks like you're just reading about the guy yeah 
But like in the way you watch, so you get like or, in your mind, like you said, in your mind, you can make up a figure like a, a generic right. guy exactly. and picture him with the scruffy and professor like kind of whatever exactly. in your head. Uh, he can, he'll, he'll look totally different, but then when I see the movie, it's like it's Tom Hanks. Yeah. You know? It's the same thing like another another it's actor big. that I <laughs> yeah it's big another actor that I kind of get a lot of that from a, a lot of times and it's his fault because he doesn't really act he just he's just himself in every movie it's Tom Cruise so like, that's Tom Cruise like Tom Cruise to me could never really play anybody else because I always say like that's Tom Cruise yeah like the most acting I've ever seen Tom Cruise really do and I'm talking about like actual like when I say acting I mean like he portrayed a whole different person like when i think about acting i think about gary oldman gary oldman has never played the same character in every in any two movies yeah unless it's a sequel gary oldman is a completely different person in every single movie you see him in like i just watched batman begins the other day where he's jim gordon and he's a phenomenal jim gordon i wouldn't he's a perfect jim gordon right then you see him in fifth element where he's that weird Texas uh, weapons dealer. Yeah. And, he, and he's like super goofy, but at the same time like sadistic. And then you have him, he's like a dread, a dreadlock drug dealer in True Romance. And I can go on and on and on. Like the dude like is a different character in every movie. That's like the exact opposite of Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise in every freaking movie he's in. Yeah, it's a different name. But Maverick acts just like the dude from Mission Impossible. They sound the same. They act the only difference is the Mission Impossible dude knows martial arts. They sound, they act, their mannerisms, everything's the same. Right? Um, and that that's kind of seg- gonna kind of segue to the movie that I kind of found not as necessarily impactful for me, but it was a movie that I recently watched that I just I guess I'll just kind of bring up. But you seen that movie Foxcatcher? I've heard of it. Uh, what do you call it? Is that the one about the wrestling, right? Yes. Okay. No, yes. I haven't seen it. I was really. I'll say this: it's a slow movie. It's it's a psychological thriller kind of movie. Uh-huh. It has a lot of dialogue. Um, but what I was would will say that I was very impressed with is. Channing Tatum actually acted in that movie. Like, he actually portrayed himself as a different person. Like, his the way he walked, his gait was, like, different. Like, it wasn't like how he normally walked. And I know this because I just watched G.I. Joe, like, a day or two before that. And so, like, he acted totally different. Like, he, like, his stance was different. His gait was different. Um... He would protrude his lower jaw out. I guess the guy has an, an underbite. Uh-huh. And he would like protrude his jaw out. And so as he's talking and everything, like his jaw is out. I'm like, you got that's like that's something you have to consciously think you know, keep in mind. Cause like yeah. you, you have to actually push that out and you know talk like that. Like he would talk like that guy, like his speech patterns kinda were different. And like you could tell that he put in work in regards to the wrestling aspect because they, him and even Mark Ruffalo, they looked like actual wrestlers. And so when he was standing up, like he would be real stiff and rigid. Yeah. But then, like when they're getting their wrestling stance, he would like hunch over. I guess like that's their stance. They would hunch over, and he would be like real fluid moving. So it was very, very interesting that you know he was actually 
creating that character because yeah. every other movie you see Channing Tatum and he's Channing Tatum. Even, yeah. That's what made me mad about G.I. Joe is that that's not Duke, that's Channing Tatum. Duke is all-American hero. That's Channing Tatum. You have to do some spins and some tiptoe dancing. <laughs> um, so that was really impressed with that. Now, now fact, Fox, again, Foxcatcher is not a movie that necessarily I found very influential or anything like that. I guess... I'm, I guess I'm just bringing it up right now because I was just talk ranting about people who don't act and how they were at. Yeah. You know, there's certain people who do act. And that was a recent movie that I saw. That's that, why that's my problem with, what's his name, Vince Vaughn. And that's guys that like, yeah. like, what do you call it? Like Vince Vaughn, every Will, movie. Will, 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 Will Ferrell, every movie. That's what I'm saying. It's like, those ones are like. They don't, they don't really change who they are. Yeah. So that's why I was kind of bringing up this movie. But also... It isn't necessarily influencing me per se with anything that I'm doing, um, but why I like the movie, why I'm bringing it up now, is because I just found it very intriguing um, how some people can commit themselves. I guess that's where what I I got, I got out of it. Yeah. Right. Because up to this point, the way I kind of viewed Channing Tatum was that he was just kind of riding his this wave. Yeah. Right. And every actor does this where it's like, you know what? I want to do a movie where people can actually take me seriously. Yeah. And a lot of times those movies, depending on the actor, won't work out because they're just, they've ingrained themselves to be this way so much that that's all people want from them. Yeah. But with this movie, um, like I was impressed with how Channing Tatum acted. I was like, this guy's actually acting. Like he's doing a really good job acting. And Steve Carell's in there too, and he does a really good job. Like, mm. yeah, I can't think he reminded myself is like that's, that's Steve Carell, but like he like they put prosthesis on him and some makeup, and so he looked enough like a different character, but he also acted differently too. Damn. Um, but I guess what I what I why what I got out of the movie was that a we're never too old to improve in anything we do. Like we can always. There's always room for improvement, no matter how good we think we are at anything. Yeah, you know, it's always an inch to a mile that we could always improve in those areas. And two, you just can't go around trusting anybody that has uh, something good. Sometimes things are too good to be true. And now that, that I felt like was the big theme of this particular sort movie. Sort of like that old thing, yeah. That was a big theme of this movie. Was this some things are too good to be true? Um, I don't want to jump too much into. Well, I guess I will because that's what this whole part of this this the, the episode is about. Is we could talk that a little bit, dive into it. So, um, the too good to be true thing, you know, that that kind of rang really true um, in this particular movie because um, John Dupont, that's who Steve Carell plays in this movie. And spoiler alert, guys, I'm going to be giving. A lot of spoilers of this movie at this point moving forward. So if you guys don't want to hear any spoilers on Cat Foxcatcher, go ahead and, and uh, fast forward the uh, the podcast. But I'm going to jump into some Foxcatcher right now. Foxcatcher. Um, so John DuPont, he's uh, uh, part of the DuPont family, who is like one of the wealthiest families in the U.S., if not the wealthiest. And um, I'll give you this. John DuPont and his mom, as portrayed in the movie, had a very odd relationship. It almost seemed like the mom cared more about his horse, her horses than she did about him. 
And John didn't really care about the horses because, of course, that was his mom's way of replacing him. Yeah. I'd rather focus on the horses than focus on you, my disappointment. That's how it was portrayed in the movie. I don't know if that's how their relationship was actually, but that's how it almost seemed portrayed in the movie. And so the whole thing was why John DuPont got involved with these wrestlers is that for some reason, John DuPont was really into wrestling, Roman Greco, Roman Greco wrestling. And he got really obsessed with Mark and Dave Schultz, who were the two wrestlers that were portrayed by Mark, who was Chang Tatum, and Dave, who was Mark Ruffalo. And so John DuPont, he was like, well, you know what? He goes and meets up with Mark, and he's like, hey, I want to start a wrestling team. I want us to be, you know, the, the U.S. wrestling team base for operations. You know, and I, and I want you to be my main guy on the team. And so Mark's like, okay, you know, well, what's in it for you? And, and he was like, oh, well, you know, uh, we're, I just want to see America be great, you know, and especially in wrestling, and we're already great at wrestling, and I just want us to keep that going. You know, that's how he sold it to him. Yeah. But as you see, as the movie goes along, the way I kind of observed how it was going on was the way that the mom would treat the horses is kind of like how he viewed himself, John DuPont I'm talking about, viewed himself with this wrestling team. It wasn't that he wanted to make the wrestling team great and, and you know, all about America. He wanted to have a team of animals that he could control and that he could parade around and that he could say that they were great because of him. Now, the difference between his mom and him is that the animals can't speak for themselves. Yeah. They can't speak, step up and be like, well, it wasn't you, it was me. I'm the one out here running. I'm the one that trains every day. All you do is stand around. All you do is spend money. Well, of course, the wrestlers, they're going to have emotions and things. Now, they never out, they never came out and said like, oh, he had nothing to do with it or nothing like that. They're always very respectful towards him because he was funding, funding a lot of it, yeah. right? So they'd be like, whatever. But how he would carry himself was like he was acting like, well, I'm the coach. I'm the one that's in charge. It's like, mm -hmm. you're more like the owner. You're not even yeah. the coach. You're not even the GM. You didn't, you didn't do anything but just stand around, right? And so we're starting to come to a head for both the, Mar the Schultz brothers was... For Mark, right, up until this point, so I should add that Mark and Dave are brothers. Dave is the older brother. Mark is the younger brother. Dave is the brains. Like, Dave is a wrestler. He was a gold medal wrestler, too. But Dave, he was more like he knew all the techniques. He could get out of everything. Like, he knew how to get out of every move and all that. Mark, who was Chang Tatum, he was more of the physical specimen of the two. You know, he was taller. He was bigger. Yeah. You know, all that. So it, used, it took a combination of the two to make both of them gold medalists. And so when they first started out, John DuPont would always tell Mark, like, hey, can you get your brother to come here? You know, I know it was, you know, y'all both were did great, and I want to have him here too. And, of course, Dave was like, no, I got my family here. We're good. You know, I'm, I'm all right. I got a contract already with U.S. Wrestling. I'm not, I'm, I don't need to do anything else. And so Mark was like, all right, cool, whatever. And so it was them two for a while. And then one day, this is after John DuPont had already got Mark Schultz hooked on coke and all that. 
cocaine. Uh, one day, Mark was like, because up until this point, all Mark would do, bro, is train. Like, literally. Like, he lived in a chateau in the backyard of essentially of this giant mansion that John DuPont had. Mm-hmm. And whenever he would walk from the chateau to the mansion, my man is practicing wrestling moves on the way walking. Like, that's all he cared about. Like, that's all he would do. And so after, you know, months of behavior changing, one day he was like, you know what, guys? Let's, let's not have practice today. Let's, let's practice later on in the evening. Because that's really what he would like to practice anyway. He said, let's do a double later on in the evening, and right now we'll just chill and relax. So John DuPont got wind of that. He's like, hey, where's everybody at? Nobody's in the gym. He's like, oh, well, I get the guys all off in the morning. Because he's thinking, like, I'm the main guy. I put this team together. I'm the one that does all the drills. I'm the one that, does, I'm the coach, essentially. Yeah. And so John DuPont, he didn't like that shit. Because essentially, that was the horse making the rules. That was the inmate running the asylum. So he got really pissed off, and he smacks that fool. Calls him an ungrateful ape. Because it wasn't like he canceled practice all outright. He just said, we're just going to do a double in the evening. I like that. <laughs> Slapping a gold medalist in the face. You know what I mean? Like, I know better than you. Like, you're not the coach, I am. That's kind of like the approach. So that, that from that point on, John DuPont and Mark Schultz's relationship started deteriorating. Because Mark was like, I put this shit together. I do all this shit. I come here. I work hard. I help all these guys work hard. And this is how you, you know, show great, you know, great greatness or gratefulness to me. Yeah. So at that point, their relationship got kind of deteriorated. But by then, John DuPont got Dave to come, his brother. So now Dave is taking over. So now you kind of have this issue because Dave and John DuPont now are getting buddy-buddy because... John DuPont's like, oh, I'll take care of your family. I'll do all this and that. So, of course, Dave's like, I'm happy. You're yeah. doing everything I need you to do. But Mark, at this point, is like, man, I don't want nothing to do with this guy. Yeah. He's like, I'm trying to get out of here because what Mark is realizing is that this guy is too good to be true. Yeah, He's too good to be true. He didn't want, he wasn't interested in anything that he told Mark. What he was interested in was getting the glory and getting the credit if the U.S. Olympic team would win another gold medal. And as the movie goes on, it becomes more and more evident that that's what, he, what it is. Um, there was a, a scene earlier where they go to worlds, world championships, uh-huh. and a couple of them win gold medals. And so John, he has this area, I guess, where his mom has all these horse trophies. And he's like, get all these, get all this out of here. Get all this out of here. He's like, Give me those gold medals. We're going to put those right here. And it's like, I, I mean, if I was the, the wrestlers, I would be like, hold up, bro. I earned that shit. You can give me my gold medal right back. I ain't putting that right there. This isn't a, a we thing. That's an individual medal. Now, if we want a team gold medal, then okay, you can put that one there. Yeah. But I won that individual medal. You can go ahead and give that one to me. That would be me. Yeah. That's where you can start to see it. Like, this dude, he just wanted all the credit. And I think it really came to a head for Dave when because they were filming a documentary the whole time. And the team thought they were filming it about the team. But they were really filming it about John DuPont. Because he got the, hired his film crew pretty much trying to make him look like... He's the... Like, look how great he is. 
It's because of his leadership and dedication as to why this team was so successful. Yeah. And so Dave, where it came ahead to Dave was he was being interviewed by one of these guys, and the guy was like, "So tell us how uh, tell us how John is your mentor." And he's like, "What? So t- talk to us about how you know you couldn't have done this if John well you know didn't help you and give you all his experience and knowledge and all that." And he was like, "Uh." Like in his head, he's like, John didn't do any of that. <laughs> I I had all this experience before he came over. He even got me. So, but he was being nice about it. He was yeah. like, you know, what, what do you want me to say? Uh, well, uh, I don't know. And so he finally was like, you know, well, just just say that, just just say that John was your mentor. Just, can you just say that for me? And at first, he was like, well, well John was kind of a mentor to me. He was like, uh, the director was like, uh. Well, you know, if John sees that, he's not gonna like that. You know, so you know, just tell. So he gives, he gives, he finally gives it in. Like, yeah, yeah John was a was a mentor to me. That's yeah. kind of how he says it. Like, you know, like yeah. uh, he wasn't, but I guess he was. So later on, John sees a movie, and he sees the part where Mark Chang Tatum's character acknowledges him like a father figure, right? And then he reflects on how Dave kind of started getting in between him and Mark. It it really didn't happen that way, but that's how because he's such head, a sociopath. It, that's how, that's how it was going down in his head. Yeah. So and I'm I'm gonna have to give you the big spoiler here. Oh, I know somebody dies. Yeah. So what happens is John Dupont gets his bodyguard, and they go and visit Dave. Dave is working on his car in the front yard. You know, just out there yeah. working on his car. And so John DuPont drives up and he's like, hey, Dave. And Dave's like, turns around. He's like, oh, hey, John, you know, how's it going? Be real nice and cordial with him. And they and John DuPont asks him, so you got a problem with me? And Dave is like, he's taken back by it because he's like, where is this coming from? Yeah. He's like, no. He's like, hey, man, how about you come inside? You know, what's your name? Is about uh, his wife. He's like, she's making something. And before he could finish, John DuPont pulls out his gun and boom, shoots him once. Dude falls to the ground. He's trying to crawl back to his car. Boom, shoots him again. Still trying to crawl to his car. Boom, shoots him a third time. By the second shot, the the bodyguard had jumped out of the car because he was like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) But, yeah, so that was it. That was was it for Dave. And um, they showed Mark later on. He goes into UFC or MMA and he starts doing that. Um, John Dupont goes to prison, ends up dying in prison. I think he died in 2010. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just told you the whole movie. But the whole, the I guess the impact that I got, the big impact I got from that movie is that sometimes things can be too good to be true. Yeah. Too good to be true. And that was the most recent movie I watched. Um, and so I was like, you know what? I'm going to use that one because it was, it was a, interesting movie i'm a yeah. i'm very into psychology and all of that so you know listening and kind of observing these individuals and how they're interacting with each other was really fascinating so even though they're actors and they're probably dramatizing it a little bit um still cool to see yeah it's still yeah. really cool to see especially when the actors are are actually acting yeah i thought that was really neat. ah so with that being said i think it's now time to go and visit the barrios with dom all right All right. Well, let's go ahead and see what's going on with our Barber Bros out in Kentucky. 
Well, a couple of our barber bros were sort of concerned about all this white foam that was covering a Kentucky Creek. And after further investigation, it was identified as dog shampoo. Somebody really? put, yeah, somebody put dog shampoo in it and they put the creek up. And they, at first, they were trying to figure out what this white foam was, and they figured it out. And somebody had dumped, <laughs> accidentally dumped some dog shampoo in it. That, I mean, you would uh, think it would smell. Yeah, I, I don't know what, what they were thinking. But, uh, uh, you know, I saw that and I thought it was funny. And then for our barter bros out in New Zealand, be extra careful. If you're going to be looking, uh, you know, peeling some potatoes because a World War II grenade was found uh, among some potatoes in a potato in, in a New Zealand factory. Oh damn! Yeah, they thought it was like rusted, and you know it was on the conveyor belt. Yeah, and it was like baking, and they took it out, and it was like rusted. And at first, they thought it was just a dirty like potato, and then they come to find it was a it was a World War II uh, grenade. <laughs> was it active still? Um, I don't know. It said, um, no, it, it was an inert training grenade. Oh, that's good. Yeah. But still, <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, if you won't know that going through the potatoes. Yeah. If that, if I would have been there, I would have been like tossed that mother across the, about like 500 yards. Yeah. The yeah. For sure. <laughs> Dang. But that's pretty much what's going around the world. Let's go and cast our reel and see what we got for next week. All right, looks like we're going to talk about top places we'd like to go and visit. Uh, maybe some places we've already visited, so maybe some new places. So. All right, I can't wait. Of course. Uh, so, again, guys, I know we haven't reminded you, but just a reminder, please let anybody you know that listens to podcasts, whether that be on iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you listen to this podcast, or listen to podcasts, check us out. Spread the word. Let everybody know. And until next time, I'm Pucho. I'm Tom. Take it easy.